0: I was gonna ask you guys where you rent your movies from are you oh. amazon
1: prime people are you apple tv people what's your go-to oh. i got cineplex i don't i don't think you guys have cineplex in the states but uh for all the listeners i'm like one of those. i'm like the sole canadian on screen age wasteland and we have cineplex which is a theater chain one of the big two and they have an app and you can rent movies from them so if i'm renting a movie that's not on a streaming service it's through cineplex and i wait till it's about 3.99 for hd otherwise i'm still a physical media collector so i'll i'll purchase the occasional blu-ray
2: on top of that you know even if um when i have bought a digital it's been through prime i just feel like they're so big you know it's like the safest one But um, if you go to Redbox, you can just buy a Blu ray disc for like cheaper than to rent a movie digitally. Really? Like, we literally bought Top Gun Maverick for like four bucks a week ago.
0: Like, on Blu ray? And you just own it on Blu ray?
2: I have a Blu ray disc of Top Gun Maverick I got out of the Redbox machine for
0: four bucks. That's amazing.
1: That's pretty good. (laughs) I mean, That's yeah, awesome. like like what you were like saying there, Jacob. Like as soon as it came out that you know, Apple could remove. It doesn't matter if you bought a movie on Apple. Uh, if Apple lost the license to have Universal movies, all your Universal movies would suddenly disappear, even though you bought them. I was like, no, nah, I will never be buying digital movies from Apple or iTunes or whatever. So I'm. Yeah, I'm I don't like the
0: idea of. I don't like the idea of owning digital copies of movies. Like if you're going to spend the money to own something, you may as well own a physical copy. Um, That being said, I do own, I own two movies on prime video. Uh, The first one, and they're both kind of embarrassing. Uh, The first one is Batman V Superman, the ultimate edition, which is like essentially the director's cut. Just because, in order to watch that version, you had to buy it. There was no renting option. Uh, So I bought that because I really, really, really wanted to watch Zack Snyder's three hour Batman vs. Superman, which I actually kind of like. And the second one is uh, Bodies, Bodies, Bodies that came out last year. Uh, I just, I meant to rent it and I accidentally purchased it. So now I have a copy of. Bodies, bodies, bodies. Digitally on Amazon Prime that I can watch whenever. Who knows Did if I, I ever will like watch it? it? I dug it. Um, not enough to like want to own it, but it's there.
1: <laughs> I gotta, I gotta well, say, Pete Davidson is a huge throw for me. I haven't seen that movie yet, but it's like Pete Davidson. Something about him, like I'd be way more inclined to watch Bodies, Bodies, Bodies if I knew Pete Davidson was in it. I just, just can't. That's do it funny. With that guy.
0: My my girlfriend really is, is really it. into him.
1: You know, all the
2: a lot of the attention went to the menu, um, and I like the menu a lot too. But they have some similar similar themes and and approaches. I they're both great.
0: Yeah, I saw someone uh, either it must have been on uh, on Letterbox. I think they referred to Bodies 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 as a two hour shit post, which I thought was the perfect way to describe that movie. <laughs> um. <laughs> It's just, you know, if you're if you're into internet shit posting and you want to, you want that in movie form, check out bodies, bodies, bodies. You okay. you might get a good chuckle. That's what I thought. Hmm. Um dudes, we're we're here to talk back back to the future. Um But while we're doing that, I'm sitting here uh because I have an unhealthy obsession uh, with the New York Mets, I'm simultaneously watching the Mets game and it got me wondering, um, are you guys with me? Are you also unhealthily obsessed baseball fans or are you guys like normal people? Do you, do you watch sports a lot? Um, like
1: what's, where are you on that? Am I alone? Are you guys with me? (laughs) I'm unhealthily obsessed with back to the future. As for baseball, (laughs) uh, my grandpa's a huge Toronto Blue Jays fan, as I feel most Canadians are. But uh, no, I'm I'm not that big of a sports guy. Actually, I mean, I played baseball growing up, uh, but I quit as soon as it got too competitive. Not not to say that. Well, when my when when the skill level is as bad as it is, there's no point playing baseball when you're older and it's more competitive because you'll either get stuck in left field which i played (laughs) which i played when Mm -hmm. i was 10 Mm -hmm. or you just i don't know you just don't even go on so and also i mean growing up in a small town which i did you got one Mm -hmm. overly enthusiastic dad who will coach every freaking sport yeah and that guy's just, I never liked him. He's fine. You know, off the fields, he's fine. But, you know, he's so competitive. It's a bunch of 10-year-olds playing baseball. Why are you so competitive? And then his kid, you know, thinks he's the hot shot. And, oh, those two together were just painful. And, you know, <clears> it's <throat> like, oh, oh, you really screwed up. And then we'd lose a game, and his son would be crying on the bench because we lost, and <laughs> I'm just like... Like, you know, if, you know, we just lost whatever the, you know, the regional cup and we're mm-hmm. 18. Yeah, yeah, sure. You know, you know, when when there's actually eyes on you and this is Canada, so there's no eyes on you anyway. But, you know, if you're in the States, maybe you're 18, maybe, you know, you'll have scouts when you're 10 yeah. years old. You're, there's no door to the MLB at 10 years old. Why are we freaking out that we just lost a game against another small town? <laughs> so I've never been hugely into uh, sports. I never played hockey, which will come as a shock because I'm Canadian. But
0: um, Jacob, what did you have dreams of growing up to, to play?
2: Well, <clears throat> we discussed I'm from Alabama. So here it's all football. Uh, especially college football. Of course. Um, so yeah, baseball. Baseball never really struck with me. I just never, n- never really paid it too much attention, and I was also really bad at it, so I didn't try. Um, sort of like Duke. But um, but yeah, Alabama football, Roll Tide. Um, you know, dominate. Now they dominate. I was really happy though. I was able to slip in as a fan just before. Alabama became the the force that it is. So Mm -hmm. I can still get away with not being a bandwagon. Okay, (laughs) Um, nice. I had a friend who I had a friend who um, back before Alabama became good, um, you know, their main rival was Auburn, um, and uh, in the big rivalry game, he would go back and forth uh, switching jerseys um, depending on who was winning.
0: (laughs) Uh, You just he can get one of those like half and half jerseys. And just then-
2: just just whoever's winning. That's who yeah. he that's who he he becomes I mean bandwagon by the by the touchdown we're talking about. Yeah. Um yeah. as far as baseball though, we do have um, you know, I'm sort of near the Montgomery area. We have the Montgomery Biscuits. That's our minor league team.
0: Okay. is that triple A, double A?
2: <sighs> Gosh. See, I don't yeah, you know, I don't go that often, yeah. but um uh, I I think it's triple A. It's it's a feeder for I think Tampa Bay. Okay, that that makes that that makes sense. Evan Longoria came yeah. came through the biscuits.
0: Okay, so yeah, prob- probably probably triple A. That's awesome. I think I, it's triple. Yeah, I, I think there's nothing like a a summertime minor league baseball game. Um, it just feels like I don't know. It feels like America. You got a nice hot dog. <laughs> you got a beer. You're having a good time, you know. The sun is setting off in the distance. Life is good. Oh yeah, life is. It's good great, and it's a cool
2: stadium. It's a. Um, it's sort of built where there's a. There used to be a train station there, and the train still comes through. Um, right behind the outfield, trains mm-hmm. are constantly coming through during the game. Um, in fact, I was just over there. Have you guys heard of the Savannah Bananas?
0: Yeah. Yeah. They're like the Harlem Globetrotters of, uh, of minor league baseball.
2: That's, that's right. And yeah, and they were actually at Riverwalk stadium in Montgomery a couple weeks ago and family got tickets. So we, we went and had a good time. That's fun.
0: Nice. That, yeah, that sounds awesome. Um, I I'm basing this off of very little knowledge, um, just based on one, uh, triple a stadium that i've been to that is also near a train track but i'm wondering if like triple a stadiums or like minor league baseball stadiums are built near um near train stations and train tracks because you know back in the day that was sort of how uh you know how ball players got around from stadium to stadium you know You're, you're taking the train from from one city to the next and you hop right off and you You go into the stadium and you play your game and then you hop back on the train and you're off to the next town. Um, Again, I'm basing that off of absolutely nothing, uh, but it's a theory. It's a working theory. Um, Another working theory that I have is uh, I'm trying to figure out a way to build a time machine. Um, And I feel like the movie that we were talking about today is a uh, a good bit of research to do if you're looking for info on how to build a time machine. Um, How seamless was
1: that? Oh my God. (laughs) That was seamless, but I have to disagree. I think back to the future is a masterclass on not revealing anything on the scientific uh, area of time travel. Every time he tries, Doc Brown gets close to revealing something. Oh, Mm -hmm. Einstein's teleporting or teleporting. Uh, Einstein's traveling back. The, the stainless steel is good for the dispersal of what? Doc Brown, we don't know. Because Einstein comes back. Flux capacitor, which is extremely vague. We need plutonium, which in the sequel can just be compost now. it's There's a lot. I mean, it's DeLorean is a good start, but I think... Back in the Future has a, uh, I think we need to talk to the Bobs a bit to uh, kind of learn how their time travel actually works.
0: All right. So you're telling me I got to do a, a little bit more research. Um, I was thinking maybe I just get a hot tub and jump in it, uh, see what happens. But uh, I guess I'll cross off hot tub and I'll cross off uh, DeLorean flux capacitor. Um <laughs> Duke, I do appreciate that intro. I feel like you are uh you're the you're the back to the future guru, right? This is like this is your movie.
1: There would be no Duke, Carlston, without Back to the Future. This is the movie that made me a movie fan. I don't even remember the first time I watched it. I I, I know I was at my uncle and aunt. They had it on VHS. I really don't remember much, but I just, after that, I was probably 10, 12. I was just hooked. My parents got me the, what would have been 25th anniversary DVDs, I think. Maybe. And I watched them. And then of course, Michael J. Fox, this movie, I'm a huge Michael J. Fox fan. I'm a huge eighties fan because of this movie. Basically, Mm -hmm. My whole movie persona has been crafted around this film. So yeah, I'm... Damn. And I, uh, since, I'm on, since you kind of brought up that, I, I don't know, you're calling me a guru of Back to the Future, nothing was sadder than me learning one day that Back to the Future wasn't just some special movie that only I knew existed. Going on the internet and finding out that Back to the Future was like a favorite movie for like half the world crushed me that one day i thought i thought back to the future was something nobody had heard of because of course growing up in a small town you know Mm -hmm. none of my friends are gonna know back to the future that's that movie's so old compared to how young we were at the time so you know growing up and then finding out oh no this is actually kind of a big big deal this was a pretty big movie lots of people love it I was a bit you thought sad. it was just your movie. You thought it was a movie I just for well, you. I think, you know, growing up as a kid, I think we all have that movie that, you know, you're thinking, oh, this is you know, this is our special thing. And then you grow up and figure out, oh wait, <laughs> oh wait, I guess there's a million other which honestly now I, I have no qualms with it because, you know, there wouldn't be so much merchandise and books or documentaries on the topic without the fandom. So I am happy for that. But yeah, growing up, you know. It was a bit of a bummer finding out that, you know, Back to the Future wasn't just, you know, it wasn't just my favorite movie. There was a lot of people whose favorite movie Back to the Future was.
0: But, you know, I mean, sometimes it's it's cool when a lot of people all really enjoy the same thing, especially if it's something that, you know, is awesome. Uh, I think the huge fandom for Back to the Future makes sense considering... Uh, you know, just what the movie is, uh, you know, so it's not like you said, it's not super sad that uh, that other people, uh, you know, connect with the movie and have such such a special place for it uh, in their hearts, you know, the way that you do. Um, Jacob, do you have a sort of similar feeling about Back to the Future? Is this your movie or is it just like a movie that you really, really dig?
2: Well, I'm sort of the opposite from Duke in terms of I was sort of late to the Back to the Future party, Um, so I knew going in how much hype there was behind it. We finally got around to watching it. Um, Watched it with my wife, who's my fiance at the time, and um, and sat down and just watched the whole trilogy. I think we just bought the trilogy from Walmart and just like we know this is supposed to be great, so let's just get it and watch them. And uh, you know, a lot of times when you when you hear that much about a movie. You go into it and it's easy to be let down, but obviously, I'm here. Back to the Future uh, really met the expectations and exceeded. You know, it's pretty much everything that a movie should be. I mean, I don't necessarily consider it my movie, my favorite movie. Although, <clears throat> as Carlston said, we did a time travel list, and this was number one. And I love time travel, um, but yeah, I mean, it's I mean it's no doubt a classic almost perfect movie and it's you know got all of the cinema all the the studio sets and everything about it it's just it's just great i mean we're gonna talk a lot about it for the next hour and a half
0: i'm sure wow um so you guys are coming at this with from just like two totally different perspectives which is i feel like that'll be um that'll be awesome to sort of dig in a little bit more into uh You know what it's like to 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 like grow up with this movie and have it, you know, sort of shape your uh, your film fandom identity versus, you know, being a film fan at, uh, you know, at an adult age and then coming to the movie with sort of like all of that background knowledge. Um, I feel like that that's a cool sort of uh, uh, like dichotomy that you guys are, are bringing to this, which is I really appreciate. And we didn't actually plan that um but this should be fun um so i i didn't see this i don't know when i first saw this movie um i think i first saw the the second one um at a pretty young age and i really really like fell in love with it um you know we can get into a little bit the discussion of of uh of how the sequel compares to the original um, we're really here to focus on the original, but, um, the sequel was really like my window into the world of back to the future. So that one still to me holds like a really special place in my heart just because it was the first one that I saw. Uh, but I do think that it's the first one, um, obviously because it was, it was first, uh, just like so much more seminal in terms of like where it stands in like film history. Um, So do you you guys both own this on on Blu-ray or Duke, I'm assuming
1: you you must own this in some capacity. I got the 25th anniversary DVDs. I believe that's the anniversary, but I own those. Those are my first copies. And then I upgraded to the 30th uh, Blu-ray box set. Not the fancy one because I didn't want all that extra packaging. Uh, and then I also have the animated series on DVD, which is fine. And then I have all the comics that came out during the 30th anniversary that Bob Gale co-wrote, I believe. And I have a couple other books. Where's the one that I just, oh, I can't see it. It's like a manual. <laughs> Sorry. Uh, it's like a manual for like the DeLorean, I think. I think it's got a bunch of other stuff. So yeah, I went off topic a bit, but yeah. I got a lot of back to the future stuff. I haven't upgraded to 4k yet just because I don't like the 4k box set. So I'll just wait two more years for the, uh, 40th <laughs> anniversary box set, which I'm sure will Jesus. come out and I'll, uh, pick it up then.
0: I wasn't saying Jesus to you buying it. I was saying Jesus to the idea that this movie is almost 40 years old. Somehow
1: um, we're almost like halfway through the 2020s and yeah, it's yeah, all of a sudden, yeah. But this crazy. movie feels timeless. Um, oh, know, that it's a it's a breeze. The two hours, it just like I watched it again last night, two hours mm-hmm. just flies by. Of course, I know the whole thing by heart now. Like that's this is the like easily the movie I quote from the most. I will say a line for that movie and then I will say to whoever I said it to, Where wh- what movie was that line from? And they go, I don't know. And I say you always need to answer back to the future because 99% of the time I will be quoting back to the future. Even if you don't actually know,
0: even if you don't actually know what the quotes from just always guess back
1: to the future. Always, always exactly. I tell them that I say back to the future and they go, Oh yeah, I should have, should have known that. Um, It's so many iconic lines. That's so funny. I was thinking
0: timeless in terms of like, uh, you know, it works in different time periods. Like no matter when you watch it, it's sort of, um, it always kind of clicks, but also timeless in that, like, it just like flies by, um, you know, you don't, you don't really you know, notice the movie going.
2: I think I thought about that too, that, that it being timeless and, you know, the sequels, well, back to the future too, especially because he goes to 2015 and we've just been there and it's quite a bit different than, than that depiction. I think it it feels you know more aged in in a lot of ways. I think because Back to the Future is briefly in eighty five, and then he spends so much time within the movie back in time. It's like I don't know. I think that is part of part of what keeps it fresh.
0: Yeah, like no matter. I mean, no matter when you're watching it, post uh, when did this come out? Nineteen eighty four or eighty five? Eighty five. Eighty um, five. Yeah. Anytime you're watching it post eighty five, like the fifties are always old. (laughs) Um, So, so like, yeah, like exactly what you said, like, doesn't matter when you're watching it. it, It's always going to be about um, in a time that feels uh, that feels distant. So, um, you know, it doesn't, it doesn't lose any, any of like the reading that you get from
1: that uh, depending on like when you watch it. And also to speak on that Jacob's part two um, bit there, Part two also has a lot of a lot more special effects. You got the hoverboard, the DeLorean flies more, and those, I feel, are a lot more not- noticeable. Like, you can tell where the outline is when you're watching the hoverboard above the ground. You can tell where the special effects were. Back to the Future, because you're not dealing with too many sci-fi concepts, uh, the visual effects are just, you know, in that regard, they are timeless because they're minimal. And when they do do visual effects, they're either practical, like the flame, uh, the racing stripes or yeah, like barely like the electricity sparking from the DeLorean. It's, it's, it's so minimal that I think in terms of visual effects, it holds up a lot more than part two, which, as I said, you can kind of notice more in the shark shark still looks fake. In uh Jaws nineteen. So I think in those regards, Back to the Future is more timeless, just visual effects wise. I didn't
0: even thought of that. That's uh that's a great shout. Um Duke, I was wondering well, actually a question for both of you guys. Um Jacob, actually I'll ask you first, since your first viewing was more recent, how many times have you seen Back to the Future?
2: Gosh, I um I'm guessing probably only four or five times, which, I mean, is really not a lot, especially compared to Duke. (laughs) Um, But I did have the opportunity. I'm a big, I'm a big theater guy. I love to be at the theater, and obviously during COVID, uh, theaters weren't really going very much. There was no movies being released, but um, where I was at the time, the theater started playing a lot of classic movies. So they played Back to the Future, and we we did have the opportunity to go and see it in a movie theater. So that was great. Um, yeah, that must have been just,
0: amazing. You
2: know, it was it was absolutely great, and we also got to see The Breakfast Club and Footloose, which was yeah, maybe not in that same conversation. And Weird Science, which is uh, was a trip, but um, lots of lots of '80s movies that we got to go back and and uh, experience. On the big screen that we never would have had the opportunity otherwise, other than a re-release. So, yeah, definitely haven't seen it that many times, but it's it's so good that it does sort of stick with you. And you can just, I mean, it's just, just a couple of times watching it, you start to really, it's so memorable. It's just so memorable.
0: Was, was that a packed uh, house when you saw it at the theater? And like, was everyone like quoting all throughout or like, what was that experience <laughs> like?
2: Absolutely not. No, every every time we went and saw those classics, we were basically the only ones in the theater. Right. Um, due to COVID, and it also being a very small town.
0: Okay, um, yeah, that makes sense. Uh,
2: people just were not going to the theater. Um, really, at that time, they just were not going at all. And so, you know, it was what it was. It would have been nice um, in a lot of regards to have seen it with a lot of people and gotten that audience reaction. But... It was okay. At least we were the only people, so it sort of became like a personal theater. Yeah, like a like us, a private so.
0: screening. Yeah, right. yeah. That's yeah. That's a good way to look at it. Um, Duke, have you ever seen this on the big screen, or speaking just countless of, times at home?
1: Speaking of private screenings, uh, similar exactly like Jacob uh, during the pandemic, you know, local theater they were showing a bunch of '80s movies. Me and the girlfriend at the time, um, we saw Dirty Dancing, and then for my birthday, she rented out the theater, which you could do for like 200 uh um, for Back to the Future, and then it was kind of for my birthday, and then she invited, you know, anyone who could make it, and they didn't have to pay because she had already rented the theater screen, so Yeah, I watched Back to the Future on the big screen for my birthday, which was pretty cool. I'd seen it before on the big screen, probably in 2018 they were doing, Cineplex was doing like $5 throwback movies. So I've seen it on the big screen a couple times. And then since I've been tracking uh, movies that I watched since 2013, I've seen Back to the Future 17 times since the start of 2013. But before that, when I really kind of first was introduced to Back to the Future and had got the DVDs, I must have watched that film like once a month. So it's, it's got to be, I must have seen this movie at least 30 times over the last 15 plus years. So yeah, I'm, uh, oh man, I wish, I wish that, um, I didn't have sailor breathing down my neck to watch more movies. I wish I didn't have a back catalog of eighties movies on blu-rays that I need to get to. And I wish that I just wish I had more time because yeah, I would watch back to the future, man. I, I like, if I need a comfort movie that is back to the future, throw that on, but yeah, I haven't watched it. It's, it's, I used to watch at least two or three times a year. Now it's down to at least once a year because there's just, you know, as you get older, you know, there's a lot of, you start realizing there's a lot of good movies out there that you haven't seen. So you got to make sacrifices and that's limiting how much I spend uh, devoted to the DeLorean. That's
0: that's fair. Um, so I think now that we have sort of... uh all that background info out of the way or not background info, but um, you know, gotten through just sort of, you know, how we all feel about the movie and, and all of that good stuff. Um, I, I kind of want you guys to just talk me through like what it is exactly about this movie. Like what are the specific uh, you know, points uh, and everything uh, about this that, you know, really stick with you that make you enjoy it as much as, uh, as you guys
1: do. I don't know, Jacob. You got something you want to
2: jump in first? I'll, I'll, let me see if I can. Um, like I said, I'm in general anyway. I I love time travel, and this is you know Duke and I were talking about when we were making our time travel list. You know, this isn't really the most time travel heavy. It, it's I mean all about time travel, but in terms of the actual concepts and it, you know, it's sort of hand wavy it's like yeah you know this car this old crazy man can make this car go back in time have fun and it's off to the races you know and that works for this movie it's perfectly just from the beginning intro with when it's panning across all the clocks and you get to this giant amp and you have um michael j fox there with this cool little vest on and blowing the the amp out i mean It's just such an intro that it's just like, I don't know what's going to happen, but this is just really cool. And then the the square, that square, I just love everything about it, the way that they they show the changes from 85 to 55. And um, obviously the story, too, um, of Marty being able to see his parents back when they were his age. You know, it's really interesting to me that Marty is, um, as a character – he never. He doesn't really have a whole lot of flaws, and a lot of times you might think of that as as you know being sort of a weak character. But everything about Marty is just it's just too cool. I mean, he's just a good guy. He wants to see his dad stand up for himself. Um, you know, he wants things to go well. I mean, it's just a fun movie. You don't have to worry about a whole lot. I mean, it's not like, you know, now when you think a lot of movies that are that are loved, you know, they got some some dark undercurrent or something. And and it's really just not like that. In, in this movie, you could see Biff back in time as, as a bully. One of the things that really, um, and this goes through all the sequels as well, obviously, but when they first get back to 55 and they have the prosthetic, you know, the same actors playing the younger versions just through prosthetics. I just think that was, Amazing bit of movie making. So much now you have the de aging technology that that really honestly doesn't hold up as well to me at all as what Back to the Future did um, by just doing prosthetics for the older versions and then going back to the younger. Uh, that's I mean that's worked out perfectly for this movie. And
1: um, can I jump in? It's just catch
2: the light. Yeah, jump uh, in. Yeah,
1: yeah. Just I I made a note of this when I was rewatching it the other night, but. I think the old age makeup in this film is ab- be, is absolutely stunning except for when he changes the timeline. And I don't think the makeup on uh, Lorraine, the uh, new old version of Lorraine, I don't think that makeup is good, but Biff and old and new George, I think that old age makeup is absolutely perfect. I think that should, I don't know if it got nominated, but it should have got nominated for uh like best makeup award at the Oscars, because in terms of yeah, like you're saying, de aging where it looks so, or de aging or even aging, visual effects or you know makeup that uh, old age makeup that they did on the Harry Potter cast for that brief flash forward. I don't think that's anywhere near as good as the makeup that the Back to the Future film uses. So yeah, when you brought that up, I just thought I better jump in, and it, it the old age makeup in this film is better than the old age makeup film and back to the future part two. So they clearly didn't hire the same person because league's different.
2: Yeah. Yeah. Well, and they really had to take that a lot for, forward going 30 years into the future from the, from the characters they were using then. So it's like, it was just an extra level. And I don't know, maybe the old, maybe the really old person makeup they had a harder time with, but, um, but yeah, for sure. It it in this movie, it's just stunning and it works so well. And the actors do such a great job of playing their different slightly different versions of themselves. It's just all it's I mean, it's top notch.
1: I mean th- yeah. that's why we have in uh part two the whole where Doc Brown's like, Oh yeah, sorry, Marty, I thought you wouldn't recognize me, so you know, I had some work done. And that was probably that they only did that just so they didn't have to have uh, christopher lloyd in the makeup chair probably each morning they just were like nope nope i got all these wrinkles taken out so now i just look like i kind of have the same face i had when i was in the 50s because that's what i actually looked like
0: that's hilarious i didn't even i've never caught that that joke um but all, all this makeup talk and i don't know if you guys um know this to be true but it feels like with this movie in in particular um like the idea of having the same actors play younger and older versions of themselves was like such a revolutionary thing to do. Um, like it would have been really easy to just have two different actors play Marty's parents in the eighties and then, you know, cast younger folks to play them back in the fifties. But, um, like, you know, it's just such a, it's such a simple choice, but it goes such a long way to go the makeup route and have it be the same people. Um, uh, yeah, I, I don't know if you guys know um, if this is like the, one of the first movies to to really do that or if it was just like done on such an exceptional level here and maybe ways that it wasn't done before.
1: I think you can get away with recasting older and younger versions in more traditional films like nothing's coming to mind right now, of course, but compared to where you have Marty interacting with his older parents and then interacting with their younger selves i think it's important to have the same actors because then there's more of a familiar familiar connection between them i think where you know if you have flashbacks in a normal film you don't have you know you don't have one character interacting with the older version and then in the flashback it's the same Character who's the same age, but everyone else around him is younger, I think. So in that regard, I think, you know, if you have younger versions and the younger versions never interact with the older versions, you can get away with casting two different groups because in your mind, you're not really you can make the connection of who's who most of the time. So that's fine. But I think for a film where you have Marty going between the decades, it's important to have that link in actors just so. You can kind of see the relationships and the dynamics. I, I think definitely it helps for in terms of uh, cast chemistry to have everybody play the same instead of Marty having, or not Marty, uh, instead of having Michael J. Fox, you know, form bonds with the younger cast and then have to form bonds with the older cast. And then, you know, maybe those relationships are different where you can kind of see everybody kind of interacting. They're having a good time together. That flow between But I don't know if that was the first time to – or that Back to the Future was the first film to use the same cast members. I'm sure there's a lot of older films in Hollywood that would just reuse the same actors. They had no issues back then doling people up in pounds of makeup.
0: (laughs) Yeah. Um, Sort of on a similar uh, note, um, I was wondering if you guys knew this from from the research that you did for – for that list that you guys compiled. But like, is this one of the earlier time travel movies? Like were time travel stories really a thing that happened before like the eighties or was it like this in Terminator that really like, you know, got the ball rolling on that whole like sub
1: genre. Oh no. Uh, I had to deal with Sailor. He was very mad that I didn't include this movie. Uh, it was like, well, because it was half an hour. It's uh, black and white, French. Oh, she, oh, yeah, Lodge yeah. That, there we go. That so that's from the '60s. I so I think that was one of the earliest. Again, I could be wrong, but that's one of the earliest. I didn't make the cut again because it's half an hour, and I don't count that as a feature length film. That runtime.
2: Well, and it's also not. I haven't watched all of it. I watched a few minutes of it to just see what the big deal was, but it's also not really motion oh,
1: pictures. Oh, yeah, it's photos, isn't it?
2: Um, it's like photos. Yeah, I mean, it, I mean, technically, the the photos don't show any motion. So, I mean, uh, even though you have photos and sequences of frames, technically, I mean, the photos it's like a slideshow with that's got narrated over which is a cool little film experiment. And I'm not, you know, doubting that it's very good, but it's not a movie (laughs) in the sense of the list that we were making.
1: And then you got H.G. Wells. Oh, sorry. Sorry there, Jacob. No,
0: no, I was was going to say it sounds more experimental than than like narrative form. Uh, And like, how do you tell a time travel story if there's no story? (laughs) And then, Uh, of
1: course, uh, H.G. Wells the time machine uh, novel that's from 1895, which was, I think adapted in 1960. So yeah, you know, the concept of time travel wasn't something new, but uh, mm. back to the future and Terminator, I think, you know, in 1984, and 1985 was the one to punched that the uh, genre maybe needed. And I mean, definitely now it's a popular concept for films. I mean, Avengers end game, the, at one point, the highest grossing film of all time, time travel is integral to, you know, bringing back half of the universe. <laughs> yeah, and Back and to as the Future is reference. As long
2: as we're talking about...
1: Exactly. Yeah,
2: yeah, yeah, it is. And as long as we're talking about the time time travel genre, that's, in some ways, that's not really a good way to look at it because you think time travel as a genre would make sense, but then you actually start to look at the movies And Back to the Future is really not a science fiction movie. I mean, it's it's a a, sort of an I don't even know how to describe it. It's like a comedy drama, maybe some action.
0: It's like Uh, obviously there's a science fiction element. It's like a Spielbergian '80s like kids family adventure flick. You know? Yeah, yeah.
2: And then you have like Primer, which is I mean like a hard. I haven't seen it. But it's much more of a hard sci-fi. Um, we'll get into it in recommendations. I don't want to say too much, but I think Duke watched The Infinite Man. Oh, you're
1: you hey, good Did good because I didn't want to waste well not waste a recommendation, but I was I had a feeling you were going to bring it up, so I didn't put it on my recommendation. That, to, that is sure. that is a good but movie. A,
2: that is more of a again a, a time travel dense movie. But then you have movies like About Time, uh, which is like a rom. A rom-com, father-son, also drama comedy that it involves time travel, but it's really so you know there's there's all kinds of stories that use time travel as more of a, a device. It's not like yeah. a genre per I, se. I would call it a subgenre, but time,
1: but, if anything. It's a subgenre that gets implanted yeah. into the other genres, but it it itself is not a genre. But clearly Terminator and Back
2: to the Future, which um, neither one of them has really super sound time travel logic if you get too in the weeds, but they definitely, I mean, obviously created more space for time travel related movies, I'm sure. Yeah.
0: Well, Duke, this is something that you kind of talked about earlier, but um, like the fact that the time travel logic is maybe not so sound and... Uh, like, a really smart way that this movie gets around that is by never getting too in the weeds on it. Um, like, do you have anything anything more on on that and, like, the brilliance of, of sort of keeping the time travel stuff uh, super hush-hush enough to the point where we're like, yeah, that's really cool time travel, but we never question, like, whether or not any of it makes any sense.
1: I think the time travel logic is sound. What I was saying is I, you can't You were talking about wanting to build a time machine, and I'm saying this would be a terrible film to kind of get the instructions on how to do that just because how much it uh, keeps close to the vest or however that saying goes. Um, I think the worst thing you can do with a sci-fi heavy film when you're talking about something that doesn't exist in real life is to over explain yourself. So just a little bit, you know, you have Doc Brown saying just enough, you know, all the, I, ha- I had to use the DeLorean because it's stainless steel body made. Oh. And the flux capacitor is what make time travel possible. And I need plutonium to power up the, the energy source. You know, that enough is, okay, yeah, that, 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 that. And, you, you know, the DeLorean's covered in wires. Okay, all that makes time travel possible. You know, if he started going into the science and doing equations and really explaining it, I think it would be a lot easier to go, no. A lot easier to debunk. You know, you'd have a lot more scientists with debunking the science and back to the future article. So, And even in Endgame, to bring up that film game, you know, Tony Stark, they barely show. He's just, oh yeah, run this sequence and then the computer runs some sequences and then time travel's invented, you know. And nobody questions it. Because Tony Stark is one of the smartest men in the MCU, just like Back to the Future does a good job of um, showing how smart Doc Brown is. Whether his 50s self was, I'm going to say more inexperienced, maybe not so sure of himself since, I mean, the 50s scientists did prove that he was just as capable as inventing time travel and making it all work. Even though it wasn't until 30 years later where Doc Brown actually invented something that worked, but um, yeah, I think less is more when it comes to uh, stuff like time travel and explaining how exactly it works. Because as Jacob brought up about time, you know they they do a bunch of rules where you know you can interact. If you go back in time before your baby was born and change something, well then maybe you know your baby boy is now a baby girl. Or maybe, you know, you're not dating the same girl you were dating. But then later in that film, oh, if we go back into this one memory, the father and son, you know, and we do nothing, we just go back and we relive it exactly, you know, it'll change nothing. But you just kind of contradicted yourself because you're going back, but there's no way you're going to remember, you know, how exactly perfect, you know. So less is more. That's the moral of the story, all you Hollywood writers. Don't explain, just explain time travel enough where we will believe you if you.
2: And I'll jump in again too. you know, for the most part, as long as you follow the rules that you set up and you keep it brief, you're good. And for for Back to the Future, I mean, this is not in a movie like Primer or The Infinite Man to some degree, although it, it doesn't do it too much in these dense movies where you're sort of exploring the paradox. You, you have to get into it more because that's sort of the point of the movie. But here it's just a device to get to all the fun and cool stuff that happens. So it's just keep it, you know, like a magician. You don't have to show all the tricks. Just make the audience believe it and move on. But I'll say, and and we can skip back to this later if we need to, but the um, one thing that keeps the logic in Back to the Future so sound is um, Marty goes back to 1955 Before he was born, so there's no issues with running into himself or any of that kind of stuff that starts to really create problems. Um, Until he comes back to the future at the very end of the movie, a few minutes early before he left, but he's in an alternate universe because of the changes that he made to his parents' life. So it's, you know, it's on shaky ground, but it doesn't matter because it's cool. And it's so it's so late in the movie, you know. It's sort of just an oh, afterthought. You
0: just blew my mind. But uh, it, all I mean, right,
1: Jacob, if we're getting into this, <laughs> I read a theory just, online where the Marty McFly who then goes into you know who so Marty comes back from 1955. He watches himself get in the DeLorean and go back in time. There is some theory I read a long time ago where that Marty will end up. They believe, whoever came up with this theory, that that Marty will end up in the original 1985 timeline once everything is said and done. And he will be coming back to a much shittier timeline. Now, I don't believe that theory. Personally, I think that Marty is just going to go back in time and then he will end up back in that Marty that we just saw come back. I think he will go back in time and do the exact same exact same circumstance I don't think well, it's well, it's going to change it like it changes stuff that yeah there you know it, it's not a closed loop there's a bit of time when there's two Martys but I think that Marty just goes back in time and does the exact same thing that we just watched I well don't... Here's, here's the only problem here's the only problem and it's such a small
2: detail again that doesn't matter to the enjoyment of the movie but the problem is when Marty comes back and he crashes <laughs> into <laughs> the parking lot he crashes through the like, what is it? The Lone Pine Mall sign because it used to be like the Twin so he crashed Pine Mall, right? Through the pine
1: tree in the past, so and, now it's the Lone Pine Mall. But if we're, I, 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 so, I think I know where you're going with this. So because of that, because of that little
2: detail, mm. it or it's, it's showing when he gets back there. It's like an alternate reality already. If they had, if he had just gotten back there, and and it was implied that the second Marty, it gets confusing when there's two of them. But if it implies when the original Marty comes back and sees his past, how do you even talk about this? When, when, the Marty that we've been following comes back to that parking lot a few minutes too early and sees himself, if all the changes happened after, okay, I think
1: I don't I know, I, I know what your, you done? Going with this, but I'm going to counter that. If you think that's the the most logic breaking moment, I'd argue it's when. Marty McFly is gets back to 1985 and he's by the clock tower or whatever. Is it called the clock tower? I'm going to call it the clock tower. And then his car stops and then he sees the Libyan VW van drive by. So we know he's in Hill Valley. And when he goes back in 1955, the car ends up, he goes through the, uh, so he leaves Mr. Peabody's farm. Then he drives a bit. Then he sees what is it? Lion Estates. Then he has to stash his car. Then he has to walk two miles to Hill Valley. And then, so now in 1985, he's in Hill Valley. The Libyans go. He has 10 minutes. Somehow he go. He can in 10 minutes he goes at least two to three miles to the Peabody Farm, which is now the shopping mall. Or in he 10 can minutes, there. that's what that's what I think is the most logic breaking is how he can get. He can keep up with the Libyan van and run like two, three miles in ten minutes. That's that's the logic. Now, when I watch this now, the last few times, that's when I go, "Well, that doesn't really work." But I'm going to give it to them. Can
2: can we all at least agree, though? That I mean, again, the first movie mostly stays out of those minefields. The second movie is just a wash in in the second
1: movie. Yeah. It it breaks it, but I will argue this is where I'm bringing this up right now. This is a good ground. I will argue that back to the future. Part two has the best scene in any back to the future movie. And that is, I wrote about this on the site, uh, screenage wasteland. It's that scene from back to the future. Part two. It is the last scene from the movie where doc Brown gets shot back to 1885 and then the postal guy shows up he has a letter from the past it's from Doc Brown he survived there's only one man who can help me and then we see the time travel and we see Marty get shot back to 18 or 1985 and then 1955 doc celebrating and then they got that perfect frame where doc brown's kind of winding down from his celebrating and then you see back to the future part 2 marty book it around the corner And then he comes down and he grabs Doc and Doc's freaking out. And he says, no, you know, it can't be. I just sent you, I just sent you back. And he goes, I know, Doc, I know, but I'm back. I'm back from the future. And then Doc goes, great, Scott. And he does an absolute pitiful faint, which I'll give props to Christopher Lloyd. He drastically improved his fainting in the part three. But I think part two. Time time travel wise it's got more logic breaking but no scene in back to the future tops that ending from back to the future part 2 I going to go to a different scene yeah. <laughs> Okay, okay Raph, let's hear it
0: No well <laughs> um I I just really wanted an, an excuse to bring up my favorite part of back to the future part 2 um and I I I still remember this from like the first time I I saw this movie as as a child and like this was the moment that uh, that really stuck with me and threw me into Back to the Future fandom. Um, but uh, the scene when he goes to the alternate 1985 and Biff is a weird uh, Trump-like casino figure, um, and you know Marty tries to uh, to steal the book from him or whatever, and and the, he chases him up to the to the top of the uh, casino. And I just thought that Marty jumping off of the roof and then the shot of the DeLorean, you know, coming up and then doinking Biff in the face with the door. Uh, When I was like eight or nine or ten or however old I was, I just thought that was like the coolest thing ever. Um, That's one of those moments when you're a kid and you realize like, oh, movies can be like super awesome. Like movies can do things like that.
1: Um, That's not to disagree with Duke. No, no, no. I I also like that scene. That actually kind of, it's making me think of the, you know, Biff and um, Marty's whole exchange there. And I think, you know, since we're talking about kind of the, we got to talk about the trilogy as a whole, at least in regards to how each film will redo uh, specific scenes from the original, depending on the Mm -hmm. timeline you have, you know, what are you looking at? Butthead, hey, you know, I have to have time to retype it. I have to have time to, you know, all that. You got, hey, Biff, uh, what the hell is that? Oh, you hit your head. You know, each film has these scenes that they, uh, Zemeckis and Gale have rewritten for each time period. I think that's another kind of cool part because it kind of gets you into the different timeline and really kind of, at least the Lorraine one, where oh, you hit your head. Oh, you're safe and sound back in good old 1955, 1885, 2050, or apartment or whatever. You're safe and sound back on the 27th floor or whatever for the
0: mm-hmm.
1: alternate nineteen five. I think that kind of also drives home, you know, that this is similar to Marty, but at the same time, different.
0: Yeah, I'll just, I'll just quickly say. Sorry, go yeah, for it. Absolutely.
2: Jake. I was just gonna add in the running gag with with Biff and the uh, manure.
0: Classic. Absolutely classic. I was gonna say my my last bit on on part two is uh, I think part of why I enjoy part two so much as a sequel, um especially after I like went back and and watched the original and then uh, and then revisited uh, part two, is uh, the fact that it's like as a sequel, it's like playing with the idea of what sequels do and that Marty is literally going and retreading the story of part one um, as like a different version of himself and playing with what happens in part one in part two. And like that's sort of the idea of like what sequels do. And I just love the way that it plays with, with that. Um, I haven't seen part three recently enough to talk about it in any sort of like significant way, but if you guys have thoughts on it, uh, you know, definitely feel free to jump in.
1: Oh, we got to give a little bit of love to part three. It's underrated, in my opinion. I, I, a lot of people don't like that they kind of did like a full Western with the third Back to the Future, but I don't mind it. You couldn't, you couldn't have them go back to 1955 again. Now there's three Martys. No, that'd get tired. But having, you know, a Western, it's kind of fun. I don't really have much to say. I mean, I like. I think the Clint Eastwood gag works a lot better in part three than the calvin klein um gag in the original where lorraine thinks his name's calvin klein because it's on his underwear i think you know i think you can do what because clint eastwood's you know more known for his westerns you know you can do a lot more in a western setting with marty mcfly being clint eastwood especially you know everybody's going to know or say that Clint Eastwood is the biggest yellow belly that any cowboy, you know, it's just, you know, with your knowledge of Clint Eastwood filmography, you know, that joke's a lot funnier than just, oh, you know, you got purple Calvin Klein underwear on like, okay, yeah, that's funny. But then the joke's dead where the Clint Eastwood one can, can continually be brought up throughout the film.
0: Yeah. Um, and then the reference obviously to, uh, to fistful of dollars it is awesome. And which they set up in part two. Exact mundo.
2: And we gotta just give a little love to the train.
1: I just, <laughs> you like, I mean you like the train over the DeLorean while. or what?
2: No, of course not. But it's a nice bonus. The train like, is nice. <laughs> it like runs
0: on Steam. Um okay. Sure. Trains I, I feel like train the history of movies and trains are like so closely tied together. Like, I feel like so many, you know, massive movie moments um, include trains, obviously, like the, uh, you know, I'm going to sound like an idiot for forgetting their names, but the uh, the two brothers who invented uh, motion pictures uh, showing the picture of the, the train coming into the station, people in the theaters freaking out, thinking that a train was coming at them, like, literally since the inception of movies, trains have been a part of it, and like, most of the biggest movies of all time have train scenes so like yeah it makes sense that back to the future the back to the future trilogy uh, features a train pretty heavily because trains are dope and train more movies should have trains that's why
1: you just I just have a movie pitch flew into my brain because of what you were just saying (laughs) I'm because I was thinking you're you're saying oh you know a lot of movies have trains I'm thinking bullet train because I watched that in January and I'm thinking oh you know it'd be so good is a movie where it's like bullet train, so you have someone have to you know get something at the front of the car, kind of like Snowpiercer, you know, where they kind of move forward through each car, mm-hmm. but it's like a time loop film. So, oh, if dude. he die, like if he dies in the first, like he, the movie resets until he successfully <laughs> gets out of the first cab, and then he's kind of like Edge of Tomorrow, if, but kind of like, only- like that. Edge of
0: Tomorrow on a train.
1: If kind of,
2: if only there was a movie about time travel on a train about maybe some guy who has to figure out who's bombed the train and has to go back oh, oh again source code. I, I haven't seen uh, that I that was the one that? you had to no. watch
1: for the list and i i I gotta watch it because it looks good time travel on a train
2: source code is your pick that'll be my <laughs> recommendation damn it someone Larry.
0: stole our movie all right uh duke we'll, we'll get back to the drawing boards um back back to back to the future um obviously it's pretty impossible to talk about this movie without talking about uh how legendary michael j fox is um i think the relationship between uh michael j fox and christopher lloyd on screen is really like the heart and soul of this movie um
1: so go for it (laughs) <laughs> Only in the eighties can you have a teenager be best friends with an old person, and nobody questions it. Back to the Future, Karate Kid, nah, nobody cares. That's just a off tangent thought that I had last night. Because how are these two friends? Like how did, how do they meet? We don't know. The comic book answers it, but uh, I won't get into that. But no, yeah, Marty McFly, Michael J. Fox. No one else could have played this role. That is how I got Sailor to bump Marty McFly up in the greatest 80s characters of all time list, is because they tried it with Eric Stoltz. Didn't work. Michael J. Fox was the only option. And he was their first pick, but family ties wouldn't give him, wouldn't let him go shoot because they didn't want to lose him. And then it didn't work with Eric. So then they came back, and now that the season was almost done, I think the season was over. Michael J. Fox was available and boom that's how we have Michael J. Fox's greatest role Marty McFly.
0: Jacob, what do you have on uh the brilliance of of Michael J. Fox as Marty McFly?
2: I mean, I you know, that sort of summed it up already, but yeah, I mean the um his charisma is I mean what well, this movie wouldn't work without his charisma. Like we mentioned his character doesn't have in, in a lot of ways that many complexity i mean he's not he's just cool he's just cool he's got a you know he's got a good solid head on his shoulders he's trying to make things right and things go a little wrong as time travel movies will do but i mean he's just got a cool factor that makes this movie really work and then his chemistry with christopher lloyd just like duke said i mean From the very beginning of the movie, it just says, here you go. These guys, this uh, high school kid hangs out with this old science professor. And we're not going to tell you why. They have good chemistry. It doesn't matter. He hangs out. He plays his amp way, way, way too loud and gets late for school and runs off. (laughs) It doesn't matter. It doesn't matter. He just, this is just the partnership and everything really hinges on. I mean, the other characters, um, you know, Lorraine... And um, George and Biff, they're all they're all very important, especially with the threads between the the present and the past. But really the movie hinges on that relationship and Michael J Fox and Christopher Lloyd just make you not question it. I mean it's just it just seems nobody natural. has
1: better comedic timing than Michael J. Fox. I think Michael J Fox like even, Beyond Back to the Future, is other series, or even in interviews, you know his comedic timing, his ability to deliver a line, you know, it's just perfection. You know, some, and uh, you know, again, this is the job of the actor. You know, one actor will deliver a line one way, another person will take it in a completely different direction, and again, that goes back to the Eric Stoltz. You know, Eric Stoltz was, you know, he's got a more theatrical, um, theater background, I think, or a drama, at least, more dramatic he was doing more dramatic roles. So, you know, he was playing Marty completely different, way more serious where, you know, Michael J. Fox just, as we're talking about, he's charisma, you know, he's charisma. He's a five foot four ish ball of charisma. He is just, you know, there's no one like he, there was, there will never be anybody like Michael J. Fox. He was one of a kind, <clears throat> you know, just the eighties were his, in my opinion. Like he dominated, he had the bet. He had the number one movie. And he, he had the number one show in '85, Family Ties Back to the Future. Nobody was hotter in 1985 than Michael J. Fox. He had it all, and that was because of his charisma and comedic timing, and just his ability, and just and his as- ability to uh, to just kind of uh, have chemistry with almost with any actor opposite him. Like he is just if he's with Lorraine he's perfect. If he's with George, you know, it's face-melting stuff, you know, tell her destiny has brought us together with Christopher Lloyd. Even with Biff, they kind of got this good chemistry going. It's I mean, I could talk about Michael J. Fox for the next hour, so I'm going to stop and kick it back to Raph. Yeah. Michael J. Fox, well, MVP. Well, I, w-
0: I was going to ask if uh if you guys think that part of uh part of why he works so well in this movie is his, you know, uh, him coming from a sitcom, a TV sitcom background, like this movie in, in some ways, in some respects, sort of does read like a sitcom. Um, so I think that kind of humor and charisma and just sort of like screen presence really translates, uh, are, like, do you guys, uh, sort of agree with that or
1: am I totally off base with that reading? Uh, I think you, you got it. Um, because, uh, you know, Alex B, Alex B Keaton, (laughs) um, Mark, oh, there I go. Michael J. Fox. Michael J. Fox is coming from a, you know, a sitcom. He's coming from a comedy show that would tape in front of a live studio audience. So he knows how to elicit laughter. Like he knows, you know, he's had hours of experience on how to work the line a certain way to get a laugh from the crowd. So I think that's definitely, um that definitely was a strength that he brought into Back to the Future where, you know, Crispin Glover, who did, who did appear on Family Ties a couple of times, but, you know, Crispin Glover, um, Leah Thompson, definitely Eric Stoltz, you know, they came from more, you know, they, they'd done a lot of drama work too. And I think, you know, the differences between drama and comedy are quite a lot. So, Definitely, he, I think, brought uh, a comedic energy that was probably lacking, uh, definitely with Stoltz and a bit with Glover, I would say. Yeah. Um,
0: I uh, I feel that. Um, so I feel like another thing that is uh, pretty hard to ignore when talking about Back to the Future is the screenplay um and just like how it how it builds um how the the tension sort of evolves how the stakes are like ever so slightly growing and increasing or changing over the course of the movie and like hitting all of the right beats at the right time um i don't know if you guys have heard this but i've heard that back to the future is like still used a lot in screenwriting and script writing classes and courses um as being an example of like uh just the perfect sort of layout for the overarching um sort of flow and pattern that that a screenplay uh is supposed to take um I don't know if you guys have also heard that or and if you haven't if you like would agree with <laughs> with that uh assessment
2: I mean yeah it's uh I haven't heard that per se but i I can totally see it um it's just a really well-structured um movie i mean yeah the stakes um it never feels too out of control i mean it's it's not it's very gradual um and uh one thing that they do because time travel writing can become so out of hand um because you you're not talking about your usual um sort of consequential setup and payoff where someone's doing things in the way we know. I mean, Marty's going back to 1955 and how does his action here affect his, you know, his present or now when he's in the past, his future um, as he starts to disappear and things like that. And, and all the little obstacles, writing in the thing about the lightning striking the clock tower that was set up pretty much pitch perfectly. And then something about the writing too, just though, you know we've talked about the running gags and the way, just the the great Scott and the that's heavy doc, just sort of peppered throughout. It, it it's obviously like catchphrazy, but at the same time it feels natural, which I think is really hard to do, um, and they did it. And a lot of that stuff, you know, when when Biff is um, the his McFly, and then goes back in time and is doing the same kind of thing, just the way those things were structured. In I can totally see I mean, what the screenplay. Is great. Yeah,
1: going back there, I um, Jacob kind of touched on this the how Gail plays with the uh, the differences in slang from the fifties and eighties, as well as references or popularity like that exchange in the. Uh, the cafe, you know, okay, give me a tab. Can't give you a tab unless you order something. Give me a Pepsi free. I'm not giving you a Pepsi unless you're uh, paying for it. You know the, you know for that cafe guy, he's like, what, what the hell are you talking about? you know, yeah, you know, Marty wants a tab soda, mm-hmm. and that does didn't exist in the 50s. Then he wants a Pepsi free, which I don't think I got that when I was young until you know now you Google it. Oh, Pepsi free was some really a brief like I think it was only from like 1984 to like 86 or 87 like Pepsi's attempt at I think a sugar-free Pepsi so of course that Pepsi free joke uh, does not age good but it's it's still kind of funny and then of course yeah I mean just like that or you know who the hell's John F. Kennedy and it's kind of like (laughs) the different and yeah like great Scott oh that's oh man that's heavy heavy there's something wrong with the Earth's gravitational pull. Yeah, or, 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 or probably the best one is, uh, okay future yeah. boy, who's president of the United States in 1985? <gasps> Ronald Reagan. Ronald Reagan! The actor! Which apparently, when Ronald Reagan, I think Zemeckis and Gale weren't quite sure if Reagan would find that funny, but I guess when the, he was at a screening, he he li- he liked it so much, he was killing himself laughing, he actually had them Rewind and uh, play that scene again. That's how much he actually thought that little bit there. The joke at his expense, he thought that was quite funny. So, I mean, it is a pretty good line. I mean, it's. I think that's my favorite joke in the movie. (laughs) I mean, there's so many good lines. It's just hard to. I mean, yeah. Beat at McFly, make like a tree and leave, is it? Yeah.
0: No, he says make like a tree and, and get out, get of, out here. of here. Yeah. Or get the hell out of here.
1: Yeah, make like a tree and get out of here. Yeah, because leave is the actual. Yeah. It's about as funny as a screen door in a battleship or something. It's like screen door in a submarine. That's in the sequel, I think. Some of that stuff. Where when Biff's older now, he's like, he's a goddamn idiot when you say it wrong. <laughs> yeah.
0: <laughs> um, Speaking of the screenplay, I feel like one of the best uh, tools that, uh, that this movie uses... Uh, to like do that gradual build is the uh, is the use of the, the photo that Marty's carrying in his pocket. Um, and, you know, each time he takes it out and you see the continual fade uh, it's just like a great indicator of like, okay, where we are in the story and how close we we are to needing a resolution. Um, and like, it's just used to perfection,
1: I think. Oh yeah, definitely. I mean, real realistically i don't you know it's silly that a photo would start slowly disappearing but i mean in terms of the film it's perfect it's perfect for within the film to yeah like you said oh yeah so how and much is a cue, you know, a cue to gun. the audience yeah i mean yeah that's perfect i mean egg, egg, you know the more you can show i mean showing instead of saying i think you know that's kind of a Screenplay type of thing, you know, if you can actually show instead of just having someone spout out exposition, that's a good thing to do. So, yeah, having that as a visual cue, and then you know, when he's playing Earth Angel and his hand starts to waver because, oh my god, or waver, disappear because that ginger kid who was in every single 80s movie, it seems, has stolen Lorraine from George, and then, oh man, is he gonna kiss her in time? And then he does, and then, oh, he's like springs back up and the picture. Boom, boom, boom. They're all there. The timeline has, you know, been changed, but it's restored that Marty is alive. Just perfect. And then, it's of course, perfect. we get that great Johnny B. Good scene. Yeah, talk, talk to me about it. He springs back up, you know. His hands his hands all better, the picture, his siblings are popping back in, you know, timeline has been restored. All is good, and then of course he's gotta go, but the band's like, man, come on. They're loving this. You gotta give us something else. And he goes, Oh, something else. Okay, gay okay, guys, this is a blues riffin B. Watch me for the changes and try to keep up. And then he, you know, goes into Chuck Berry's Johnny be good. And he's doing his own rendition. And then we get the bit where, you know, uh, your cousin cousin Marvin calls Chuck Berry up. And he's like, you know that new sound you've been looking for? Well, listen to this. And so, you know, that it kind of, I was watching that last night. And I was like, you know what? This is almost Forrest Gump before Forrest Gump. In the way that, you know, (laughs) you got... Classic Zemeckis. Well, yeah, exactly. Oh, God, I didn't even think of that last night that Zemeckis <laughs> had directed for us. But, you know, and also, you know, where he's running from Biff and he grabs the kids' skateboard with some a scooter. I don't know what it would have, we should have called it. But then he breaks and he's like, oh, hey, you broke it. And then the kids are like, holy crap, look at that. What he just made with, like, I get, what, skateboards didn't exist in the 50s? I don't know when they were popularized, but I kind of like, oh, so Marty invents the skateboard and then he helps Chuck Berry or you know, strengthens Chuck Berry's. Maybe Chuck Berry already knew that sound he was looking for, but Marty kind of showed that. Oh, hey, this could be popular. I don't know, but I kind of thought, oh, there's a couple, you know, Forrest Gumpish moments that's where rude. Marty's kind of playing with history, and then of course, yeah, like you brought up, Zemeckis that's goes so on funny. to do that course, but Forrest Gump, of course, has got his hand in everything, Apple and that's the cool. wars and Ping Pong and meeting all these presidents. The but the yeah. connection
0: of uh, of, <laughs> of of like all of those things to Forrest Gump is just hilarious. I'm like, I'm totally floored by that. Semeckus just can't help himself.
1: <laughs> can't help himself. At least this was all before Semeckus went all in on motion capture and CGI and creepy Oof. faces. <laughs> um,
0: dude, you forgot the best part of the of the scene when he shreds. You
1: know, that's my least favorite part actually, is when he just goes off and he starts mimicking all these rock legends and all these moves sliding on his back. Does he do the tongue against the guitar strings? I think he doesn't do not. the tongue. He doesn't do, but he does the <laughs> finger tapping on the. Yeah. That, like when it gets all kind of. And that's you know, real the,
0: like 80s, like hair metal <laughs> stuff that he's doing with. Uh, he just you
1: know, got he does like, the away. AC,
0: ACDC. Like, duck walk thing um i feel like they're like shades of van Hel- van halen and all that stuff
1: oh, um, of course he's but, a huge van halen fan as we know in that uh darth well, vader from the planet vulcan yeah that's the van halen music that he used to uh convince george that he had to pursue lorraine or else his brain would melt so van halen definitely where Nick fly knows about that them we we have to talk about how poor
2: marty just wants you know he's got he's got roped into this whole story but all he really wants to do is tread in front of a bunch of people who enjoy it and uh he starts out with huey lewis who who deadpans and says it's not what they're looking for
1: and then he tries it again in 55 and they're not receptive i guess you guys aren't either. ready
0: for that yet but your kids are <laughs> gonna love it
1: i'm sorry but you're just too darn loud okay Huey, come on huey <laughs> But
2: the music in Back oh, to the Future, yeah, talk mean, about that. Huey Lewis and the News. I mean, it, I mean, just such a good um, man. The music's amazing and just
1: a great I, energy.
2: I miss. It. But Duke like can I, talk more about Power Love,
1: amazing song. And then Back in Time, which is which is more about the movie Back to the Future, which plays during the closing credits. You know, they don't make. You know, like they still have songs that are written for films but i feel like there's not that connection you know like on the radio you know they used to say oh you know power love in the summer you know and back to the future on the radio no one ever says that it's lady gaga's whatever song she wrote for top gun maverick or it's you know they just say it's taylor swift's whatever not that it was in I don't know, a Fifty Shades movie, I think it was. You know, I feel like there's the synergy between having a singer do a song for a movie and then having the radio stations or Sirius XM or whatever promote that song or promote the movie while introducing the song. I feel that's been lost in our current pop culture landscape, where in the 80s it was a way bigger deal to have that sort of synergy moment and marketing
0: 100 percent. the 80s were just uh just a wonderful time
1: oh um originality i mean let come on let's talk about back to the future would never get made nowadays it would only get would get remade but if this was an original screenplay never would get made uh no like, it's original I mean, movies have died it's just yeah, remakes and re or it's you know, there's, it's just, you know, Indiana Jones, Back to the Future, Ghostbusters. We've mm-hmm. talked about a lot already. Dirty Dancing. Uh, Jacob saw Weird Science and Breakfast Club during the pandemic in theaters. You know, there's all these original films that, you know, were given theatrical releases that, you know, just either wouldn't get made or, you know, they did get dropped on Netflix with zero advertising. I mean, Back to the Future would never succeed in theaters now.
0: On the topic of... Uh of music, not so much the, uh, the original music from, uh, Huey Lewis, but, uh, I did want to talk quickly about the score because I think Mm -hmm. that this is one of the most magical film scores of all time. Um, and sort of knowing that this was, uh, a Spielberg production, um, and, you know, knowing that he had his hands on it. And, um, to me knowing how great that the score was, I just assumed that it was Williams, um, but it's not. And I, I forgot the I forgot the person's name, but it doesn't look like um, he Silvestri. has a lot of does,
1: yeah. It doesn't look like he has a lot of credits, though. Well, when you score Back to the Future, you don't need to do anything else. That's the Bob Gale. You ride the Back to the Future profits for the rest of your life. But yeah, and I, hold I, up here, I pulled up his Wikipedia. Raph. you are underselling this guy. He what is else does Zemeckis, he have? He is the boy. Well, maybe Who's that's friend, why I don't know a lot of his Roger credits. Roger Rabbit, Forrest Gump, Castaway, Polar Express. He did Predator. He did Parent Trap. He did Stuart Little. He did The Mummy Returns, Lilo and Stitch, Night at the Museum. Oh, and he did uh, a few Avengers films, actually. And then, of course, Ready Player One, which reused his, that iconic uh, little Back to the Future clip, which I'm, I'm not going to try to redo with my voice because I'll fail. But yeah, Ready Player One, of course, nostalgia-driven, bunch of Back to the Future. I mean, that's the kind of the legacy. But yeah, back in... But Alan Sylvester, you know, he did... I mean, yeah, Jacob, I'm gonna kick it to you, or Jacob, why don't you talk about Alan Sylvester, because I, um... I've done my bit.
2: <laughs> well, you know, this is one area, like I said, I've, I've seen the movie probably four or five times, and, um... You know, I appreciate a good film score, but, uh off the top of my head, I don't, it's not coming to mind, but I love Alan Silvestri. I mean, he's done some great scores and, uh, I'm sure as soon as I go and play some of the back to the future score, it'll kick in and I'll love it. But, uh, I don't know. It's just not, it, was, it hadn't been top of mind in, in terms of back to the future. I think it's probably just that seamless. And,
1: um, I don't know. Just oh, well back to the really future main theme as my ringtone there for a while. That, <laughs> Course,
2: yeah, I mean, it's great, yeah, yeah, it is, it is, it's a great score
0: with a movie like Back to the Future. We're not going to cover everything, um, but uh, I will just say before we wrap up, and I'll, I'll also throw it to you guys if you have any final words or final thoughts. Um, one last thing I just wanted to mention about this movie is, um, just like how per- perverted it is. Um, I feel like Freud would have a field day with this movie. Um, that's my last thought on back to the future. Do you guys have any?
1: <laughs> um, I, mean, look, I mean, it's a good thing they kind of, you know, fixed it at the end where uh, Lorraine's like, I don't know what it is, but it's like, I'm kissing my brother. It's just not right. You know, it's a good thing it came from her, you know, that she's the yeah. one realizing this is wrong. Because then it kind of you know you kind of feel okay good okay good, but I, I yeah. mean I, yeah so it is it is kind of interesting you know oh my mother you tell me that my mom or my mother's got the hots for me <laughs> it is it is kind of like the worst you know it's like Ugh. you kind of hope not to have that yeah. ever happen you know but
0: no it's-, it's it it's it's played for laughs it never um it never oh, feels yeah. like it you know really like. Crosses po- the line that it could, you know, when you're doing yeah, it, something it, it like more, that. It more
1: it more plays into the idea of how Lorraine, you know, older mother Lorraine was, you know, a kind of a strict. You know, it's like, oh, you shouldn't be. I never sat in a parked car with a boy. I never. And then you go and Marty goes to the past and you find out. Oh, Lorraine's just been lying. You know, she swipes yeah. liquor from the old lady's liquor cabinet. She smokes. You know, she's clearly sat in a parked car. So you know. It kind of sat I think I car. think it just kinda of, Yeah, Santa Park car. I, I think it plays into the it what well, at least I think Gail was trying to do is it plays into the idea that, you know, as a parent you're gonna be telling lies to your kids that you were wholesome and innocent. Even oh, though yeah. nothing could be farther from the truth. And I think that's really what that plays into is this idea that, you know, Lorraine wasn't who she is and she does have the hots for you know She does have raging hormones. It just so happens that they're directed at her future son unknowingly. (laughs) (laughs) But yeah, otherwise, uh, I mean, I got nothing to say except, you know, oh, he's kidding. Nobody has two television sets. (laughs) And uh, what's a rerun? (laughs) Those are just a couple lines I I wrote down like, oh, that's kind of funny how nobody has two televisions. And now in 2023... If you're like a 12 year old, you have a TV in your own bedroom. <laughs> Everybody, there's like eight TVs in the house sometimes now. It's just,
0: I handy. had two TVs in my bedroom growing up. I was like, Oh,
1: uh... Raph, come on. No, nope, we actually only had one TV in our house growing up. And I mean, my parents' house still only has one TV. We you know. I got two TVs, one in the bedroom now, one downstairs in the living room. But yeah, it's, it's just kind of funny the idea that you know nobody has two television.
0: Yeah, nobody has two TVs. Where now,
1: you know, it's like you only have one television. <laughs> yeah, it's wild. It's more wild. It's more like the opposite now. So yeah. Um,
0: Jacob, any uh any final thoughts before we get into, uh, the final stretch?
2: Yeah, no, not really too much. I mean, it's just uh, it's just sort of a movie magic. It's really what makes it, sets it apart. Um, just the, the, all the practical effects and the, and the studio lot, just the, the set design and everything just, uh, just really transports you. It's, it's a, really is a cut above a lot of what's come since.
0: 100%. There's something about a studio lot, man. There's something about it. It just, huh, you know? So we've been doing something uh, that was sort of unplanned in these episodes where we were naming MVPs. Uh, I don't necessarily need to do it for this movie, but if you guys have folks who you want to name as MVPs, um, I think we can we can do that. Otherwise, we can just skip uh, right over to uh, our three recommendations. So
2: are we uh, just MVP, the actors? or or
0: anyone some actor uh, a character someone you know behind the scenes director screenwriter editor you know
2: gotcha gotcha whoever yeah yeah i mean it's pretty clear that uh michael j fox is is the mvp of the movie um so i mean from that from, from from that perspective it's pretty easy um but i mean there's a lot of people you could highlight i mean um, his name's escaping me. Duke will know
1: the actor who plays Biff. I think he, uh, you know, yeah, Thomas F. Wilson. That was actually Jacob. I'll let you talk about him, then I'm gonna jump in. But that was actually who I was gonna kind of highlight as well. Interestingly yeah. enough, I mean, you know,
2: he is the. There's not really a villain per se in this movie. I'm yeah, much more so, obviously, in in part two. Um, but in this movie. You know he's more annoying than anything, but he just does it so well. I mean, he just plays that um, that sort of foil to Marty and and George, sort of simultaneously, and and his his role in there. I mean, he's just such a good. Um, I mean, his comedic timing also is is wonderful, and that chemistry that he has with Marty and uh, Crispin Glover. It's just, it's just always fun to watch. I mean, he really adds uh a little bit of conflict to the um to the stakes that are otherwise, you know, there's no villain.
1: And uh I'll just jump in and say, yeah, the way I'll look at this question the way in terms of who's giving a performance where I think this guy should have had a much bigger career, and that's Thomas F. Wilson, who played Biff. I mean, Fox did, you know, he had a couple more TVs like Fox. Thompson, Lloyd, Glover, they all had careers. They're all in more, they're all in additional notable projects. But Wilson's career kind of fizzled out. I mean, he has memorable recurring roles in shows like Freaks and Geeks, but he never had kind of the star power. He never really had a moment where he was an A lister and, you know, he didn't have to audition for anything, it felt like. And I just feel like Thomas F. Wilson, you know, that was almost a missed opportunity on Hollywood's part. Like, I think he's great in this film and he could have easily been in several other films or he should have had kind of the spotlight chance, had the spotlight shine on him for a bit. So, yeah, I think Thomas F. Wilson is definitely underrated in terms of Hollywood's wasted him.
0: So you guys are both going. Guys are both going uh, with. With. You guys just said his name, and, and I, I already forgot it because... He, Thomas Tom, F, F. Wilson. F Wilson. Uh, I'm forgetting it because Hollywood didn't give him uh, enough of a chance. Um, kind of on a similar note, I'm going to go with one. This is my fake MVP. This is maybe my uh, sixth man of the year award, uh, but I'm going to go with 3D just because of how ridiculous of a character he is. Um, I gotta give that guy a shout out. Uh, but my real MVP, um, I think just because of how much he dominated the eighties, um, and like really like there's something about like Reagan era movies, uh, that all have like the same sort of feel and vibe and tones. And like the one common thread is that most of them were producer directed by Steven Spielberg. Like he absolutely owned this decade. Um, so I gotta give him a shout out as the executive producer of this movie. Um he is the MVP. Uh this sort of, you know, this sort of movie doesn't exist without um without Spielberg just like being at the height of his powers and being able to make sure that movies like this were were getting made. So he's my MVP. Sweet. So let's get into everyone's favorite part of the episode it's time for recommendations you know uh just thinking out loud here we we will get to a point where we have a specific little you know jingle that we'll play right before recommendations because i feel like it's just such a special part of uh of every episode that we do here at the canon um who wants to start we'll just go around in a circle and we'll we'll go uh you know one by one sort of naming Uh, our different wrecks and and why we're recommending them.
2: I don't mind starting. Hell yeah. Um, All three of mine are going to be time travel. And two of them I fought so hard for, for, from time travel perspective um, for so long. So we've already mentioned one, so I'll bring it up and Duke can comment on it if he wants, because he did see this for our time travel list and agrees that it was really good. So it's called the infinite man. It's an Australian film. It's very low budget. Basically a guy goes out to he's very sort of neurotic and he's a scientist and he wants to control every aspect of this date. So he brings his girlfriend out to a hotel they had enjoyed in the past only to find that it has closed and it is abandoned. And they have a really awful, you know, obviously don't have a great date and he feels like the relationship's falling apart. So he builds a time machine of sorts to go back to that time and try and fix things. And so if you like the scene in back to the future Two where Marty goes back to 1955 or maybe the scene in prisoners of Azkaban, when you're seeing how the, 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 the future version and the past versions are both there and interacting and things. This is that, but it's, it's on steroids. I mean, there's only three people in the movie and, um, but by the time it's over, there's multiple, multiple iterations of each character all running around in this limited <laughs> environment, and it's great fun. Um, Duke, do you want to add
1: anything on that? Uh, I'll just say that when we were putting together the ta- the 50 Greatest Time Travel Movies lists, uh, Jacob was adamant that this be included. So uh, I don't know. I think it was on Tubi or something. And I watched it, and I mean, it is absolutely amazing. I mean, Jacob called it low budget, but I mean, it's low budget in that it's like an indie. It's it's that its budget goes to what it needs to be, and it doesn't feel like it's a cheap film. And I mean, it was so good that um, it's it made the top 10. Uh, I'm not going to say where, because I want you to go hunt down that article and read it, but it was that good that, I, I mean, I had no issues putting it above other time travel films Um that are more commonly uh, known to a larger audience. So yeah, the infinite man is absolutely great. And I would highly stand beside Jacob in recommending it to uh, anybody listening.
0: Off to a hot start. Um, Yeah. I'll definitely be checking that one out. That sounds super interesting.
2: So do I go with my second one now?
0: No. So we'll go, uh, we'll go to Duke and then me and then we'll, yeah. And then we'll loop back around.
1: Perfect. Raph, you're gonna be so happy! It only took you three episodes, and I'm giving you what you desperately want, and that's a recipe. Oh, yes, we because that, I, I, because yeah, we can go, cancel go, the go. show
0: after this. Cancel the oh, podcast. Oh, cancel oh. the canon. We got a recipe. I'm a happy man. It's done.
1: <laughs> <laughs> so, Back to the Future, of course. You know, when you become a a franchise, that's you know spawn so much merchandise eventually someone's gonna put together the official hill valley cookbook and so of course because i'm a back to the future fan i had to buy it and i've only done one recipe uh it's i think it's like grandma or or grandma bane's meatloaf but it's good so i will say uh pick up this cookbook or look it up online figure out where the recipe is uh, the meatloaf, I will attest to it. It is pretty darn good. So, and of course, there's a bunch of stuff. You know, the the cookbooks uh, split up between. Um, there's the 1950s, so there's a bunch of 50s era foods and recipes. Then there's the 80s, and you have kind of like, you know, more common. I know, like the, kind of like the food that was popular then. And then you have like the modern, the 2010s. So you're gonna have, I don't know some future stuff like dehydrated pizza i think they have <laughs> that someone was someone that put was my that was my only something. question someone Is put the together dehydrated think, pizza like, know, yeah a fun way to do that and then you know i think you got a bit of the 1885 so you maybe something with a rabbit i don't know Rabbit but yeah you do. know american comfort food and then you know classic diner cu- cuisine and all that kind of stuff so yeah it's it's a fun cookbook i'm definitely going to be you know exploring it more when i have more time to cook probably in you know who knows five ten years when you actually when I actually have kids and i need to maybe cook them something that's when i'll really dive in but uh back to the future the official hill valley cookbook uh 65 time traveling recipes from the past present and future start with the meatloaf if i mean hey i've ate it i've made it a couple times it's good what can i say
0: that's oh man, that's incredible. I'm I'm so happy that you uh, <laughs> that you recommended that. Um, that's what we're looking for. Getting a little weird with it. Um, all right, so all right for my recommendations, I've got three movies. I'm kind of stretching, um, the recommendations and like how they tied it back to the future a little bit. I think, uh, but for my first one, I'm going with another 80s movie. And I think the 80s, right, um, I think, like, the Reagan era was a time of, like, 50s nostalgia. And obviously, that's something that Back to the Future is playing with. Um, so I was trying to think of movies that, like, play with similar sort of vibes of uh, of Reagan era 50s nostalgia. Uh, and the movie that I came up with, I think, is playing with it in a very different way, but also a very cool way my first recommendation is uh david lynch's blue velvet i don't know if you guys have seen it but this movie kicks ass uh, not a fan very- gotta
1: be honest oh <laughs> but i'm I, you gotta sell me i own the movie i watched it once was not a fan Raph, this is your you have two minutes to try to sell me on rewatching this film so i look forward to hearing what you're gonna say to convince well- me
0: I, I think um, I think what I just mentioned, I think if you're a fan of, like, of 80s movies and uh, sort of the feel and vibe of, like, uh, those Spielberg-era productions of, like, the 80s suburbia kids riding bikes and things like that and, uh, you know, Americana and w- sort of what all that stuff means, uh, I think if you're a fan of that and you want something that is, like, playing with those themes in a really different way and obviously like a, you know, a Lynch Lynchian, uh, like surreal sort of way. Um, I think blue velvet is like the perfect film to sort of not counter, but to complement uh, things that are, and themes that are being explored within a movie like back to the future. It's a weird pairing, but I still think it's, uh, it's like a cool pairing and like then a cool thought experiment to go through, sort of how these movies are related and like playing off of each other. I don't know if that convinced you at all.
1: I'm not sure. You're, you're It sounds like you're pitching a movie that I have not seen, but I'm, I'm, I might have to watch it to see, to kind of see where you're coming from it because I'm not, when I watched it, I'm not, I wasn't picking up what you're laying down. So I'm, you might conv- you might have convinced me to give another try just to see. It's
0: a reason just to just see to, if it's there, or yeah, to see to if see I'm if I'm a total psycho and uh, it might
1: be. But that that's kind of the Lynch way. He's kind of got some psychotic ish. I mean, the main guy yeah. in that film, he's pretty psychotic, isn't he? Doesn't he have he's like a, a weird inhaler type mask? The almost?
0: the main antagonist is uh,
1: yeah yeah um, yeah Bowser from that terrible uh, live action Super Mario. It's movie, uh, right? Dennis uh, Hopper.
0: It's Dennis Hopper. Yeah,
1: Dennis Hopper. Um, How bad I don't is know, that, man? that? The first film I thought of for Dennis Hopper was the 1993 Super Mario Bros movie. Oh. <laughs>
0: no, that's I mean that's that's a great shout. The new one is out now. Jacob, before you give your, your next uh, recommendation, do you have any thoughts for us on Blue Velvet?
2: I'm real interested to see it. Uh, I have not seen it, so... I'll keep your, your description of that in mind. I've also, um, my father-in-law has been recommending me watch that. Um, so yeah, I'm, I'm game to watch it and I'll see where I come down on it. Uh, I am up for a good time.
0: Probably landing somewhere between uh, Duke and myself.
1: I wouldn't consider That's Blue it. Velvet a good time, Jacob. You want to lower those expectations.
0: <laughs> it depends on how so you like to have a good time. Are,
1: are perfectly
2: set in the middle now from the, from the two of you. So.
0: That's perfect. Um, yeah, what do you have next?
2: So the other time travel movie that I really pushed um, hard didn't get to see this one, but it's a little indie film called Time Lapse, sort of similar to a Twilight Zone episode, where um, in this movie, it's three flatmates who, so one of them is a struggling artist, and he lives there with his girlfriend, who he's been dating a long time and hasn't proposed, and then they also live with his friend, who is uh, sort of an obsessive gambler, and at some point, they... They they find they realize their neighbor has not gotten his mail in a while, so they check on him and find a camera that takes photos 24 hours into the future, and it uh, peers directly through their apartment window. So they start to tinker with that, and of course things go terribly wrong over the course of the film, and it's awesome. Uh, it's just a great small character study kind of deal uh, with how they use this camera and so I've been you know I don't know how I found that movie but ever since I've watched it it's just been one of my one of my very top time travels um, of all time so
0: that sound that kind of sounds like uh have you ever seen Chronicle
2: uh no no I'm not but I've heard yeah I heard. Of it, it kind of
0: sounds like uh like a similar sort of setup of just like you know a character study about dudes who sort of find and get access to uh to like information and powers that they that they shouldn't really have um but yeah that sounds awesome i getting some good time travel recommendations today
1: i i, love I, got, it. I gotta jump in and say uh jacob i actually did watch that movie for the list you did oh I, for some reason i thought you did not get to no. see that maybe you just did you like it oh i liked it oh yeah Okay, nice. It it, it also oh. almost made it into the top ten people. So uh, go read our list because yeah, uh, but no, I liked it. It's uh, it's got Danielle Panabaker who um, is best known now for playing Caitlin Snow on uh, the Flash on the Arrowverse. So that's kind of the most famous face you'll see in that movie. And all I'll say for that film is that I think this was in the trailer, so I feel like this isn't a spoiler, but uh, like Jacob says, it gets so tense that, you know, at some point, the only way that they know that their future, that the next 24 hours, that they're safe is if they show up in that picture. And as long as they keep showing up in the picture, that they know that they will be alive tomorrow. So it gets pretty dark in some places, but no, it's a good film. I I agree. With, Jacob's been nailing it with these time travel picks. I'm doing no time travel picks. All my picks: 50 greatest time travel movies. Go there. If if I wrote the write up, that that's my uh, time travel picks for Back to the Future. So I'm I'm doing
2: one more one more quick deep cut. Um, Danielle Panabaker was in some Disney Channel stuff. Also, the the actor who plays the artist um, whose name escaping me right now but have y'all seen uh the disney channel movie uh mom's got a date with the vampire
0: oh hell yeah dude I uh have not. not not in like 15 20 years but uh i remember it being rad i, I pulled up the wikipedia yeah, so-
1: let's give him a shout out matt o'leary that's his name matt-
2: Matt O'Leary, that is the kid from Mom's Got a Date with a Vampire, <laughs> and he's the
1: artist. So.
0: Okay, I was okay. sold before, but now I'm super sold.
1: Well, now I got to Google the last guy to give him a shout. Oh, he's done nothing memorable. Sorry. Oh, <laughs> no. I'll, I'll, George Finn will give you a shout-out, but I'm sorry, buddy. I mean, the only thing I'm recognizing is you were in two episodes of Hi, I Met Your Mother. Uh, so, I mean, uh, time-lapse. But He's really good. He's really this, good. Yeah, he's everybody's good in time-lapse, yeah. so... George, if you're listening
0: and and if you ever want to come on the the show, we'd be happy to have you.
2: One more. Sorry. One more thing. Just y'all might find this interesting. I actually DM would the screenwriter of that movie on Twitter and uh, got permission to adapt that for a play. So now uh, I am writing basically just trying to adapt that to be made as a stage play. So, coming full circle to the beginning I also am trying to figure out how to build
1: a time machine
2: but it only has to be a prop for a play
1: oh um, time lapse would make a great play
2: that is the I'm so excited to try and make this work because usually you know you have to pay hundreds of dollars for uh, for the rights to put on a play so if I pitch this to a local theater um, the free aspect of it should be, able to get me in the door because <laughs> there's only
1: like two locations oh it's, yeah it's the, it's it, like it's... what four or five character. oh my god that time lapse would make a great if if bob gale can make back to the future into a musical you can make time lapse into a one act two act play i'm confident
2: we're, we're working on it
0: i love that that's that's awesome man that's so cool definitely uh keep us posted on on how everything's going with that.
2: We'll do.
1: Okay, I guess it's my turn again then. Hell yeah. Uh, is. My next pick. It's a book. I did a book uh for Fury Road. I'm doing a this book is more closer than my book for Fury Road was to the movie. Uh so my second recommendation is Someday Jennifer. It's a novel by Risto Pakarinen. I hope I'm pronouncing um, the author's name right. But basically, it's the story about this guy, you know, his career's not going anywhere. He doesn't have a girlfriend. So he watches Back to the Future, and he just decides, I'll just go back in time. But just mentally, you know, so he shuts off his phone. He anything, he goes back to 1986. I think the final year he was in high school or something like that. So if it wasn't around in 1986, he just plays dumb. He's kind of like Daniel Day-Lewis, you know? He he's not Lincoln, but he's a 1986 civilian. full method. Full method. So, you know, of course it's like, "No, I don't have a cell phone, blah blah blah." And he moved back to a small town and then you know um the girl he had a crush on whose name is Jennifer is also back in town or something. So, you know, it goes there and it's kind of it comes into the cinema and kind of, you know, Embracing the past, but somehow that helps with your future. It's it's a fun read. I literally only bought the book. Uh, I was at Indigo. I don't know if they have. You guys have Barnes & Noble in the States. The, the uh, comparison up here in Canada is mm-hmm. Indigo. Uh, I literally, I saw the cover. They had the cover facing front. It was an old kind of old school. Um, whatever it is, you know, where you're putting the little letters in to make the name. Uh, Mark keyboard. No. Anyway, you know, what you see at theaters where they put all the movies in the yeah, show. Yeah. Mm-hmm. It was that. It said, Someday Jennifer. And then I saw I was like, oh, okay. Um, my mind immediately went to Back to the Future. I Just something about it. I was like, ooh. I, and then, I, of course, I oh look at the back page. So-and-so, whatever his name is. Uh, But after watching Back to the Future, yeah, I'm buying this. That's all it took. Back <laughs> to the Future. If you just mentioned Back to the Future about something, I'm watching it. You're in. Yeah, so... In. uh It's, it's a fun, if you, if you like, um, the eighties, if you like, um, kind of being stuck in the eighties and if you like reading, uh, someday Jennifer, it's a fun read. So yeah, that's my pick. Nice.
0: Adding it to the reading list. Um, sweet. All right. For, uh, for my second recommendation, I'm going with another movie, um, I think I'm going to say the movie first and then after I'll tell you guys why, because I think just saying the movie, I think you guys might be a little confused as to why I'm making this one of my picks, but for my second rec, I'm going with independence day. And the reason I'm going with independence day is because I was trying to think of another movie with a sitcom star um, who turns into, you know, a massive blockbuster sci-fi movie star, right? Michael J. Fox, he's got Family Ties. He is a star with Back to the Future too. Independence Day, you've got Will Smith. He's a hit in Fresh Prince. Independence Day, he turns into a massive movie star. Weird connection piece, but that's what I'm going with. Uh, That's my pick. I like it, and I hope you like it too. I'm sure everyone's seen it, you know, but I still wanted to mention independence day. Cause it's an awesome movie.
2: I love the variety and the recommendations. <laughs> Raf, Raph, Raph has such uh such thought out um, connections uh, to back to the future. <laughs> oh, J- Jacob, you gotta, right. you
1: gotta listen to the uh, Mad Max free road pod because my, my recommendations are out there.
0: They that's, are. That's I'd, I'd the say they're
1: more, I'd say they're more out there than uh, than independence Day. but I like how you connected them. Raph, I, I I, except my mind was drawing a blank. I was thinking Jeff Goldblum wasn't in a sitcom. What is he going on about? I completely <laughs> forgot about. I forgot about Will Smith and Fresh Prince Trans- I have never watched. Goldblum it. wasn't in a sitcom. I was like Jeff Goldblum wasn't in a sitcom. Oh, Raph, I'm gonna have to be correct. And then you're like, you know, Will. I was like, oh yeah, Will Smith. I was thinking, is he about to talk about Vivisha A Fox? Like, yeah. what a deep pull that is going to be. And then. Yeah, I flanked on Will Smith's uh, Fresh Prince background. Oh
0: man, Duke, that's you're giving me a good chuckle. Um, I couldn't <laughs> think of any. I couldn't think of any other sitcom stars turned uh sci-fi blockbuster movie stars. No, that's,
1: uh, that's a good. There might pick. Be,
0: there might be others out there, but uh,
1: of course, you could have done Men in Black Three, which also uh, has a time travel plot and has Will Smith, who was once on a sitcom
0: that fun, that's just that's next fun, level
1: fun fact for the time travel list we i've talked about already i've only seen men in black three and i watched it just because it had time travel and just to see if it should make it into the list i think it did and i don't know where but so yeah i haven't seen the first two men in blacks but i watched the third one just solely for the time travel element
0: dude i i'd say you should you should watch the first two I oh, I own I, them. I'm I'm
1: going to watch them. It's just again. I got such you a know, big back catalog. It's
0: Yeah, you're you're just you're rewatching back to the future too, too much. <laughs> too you don't have times. time for Yeah, you don't have time for Men in Black. <laughs> um Jacob, what's your what's your final pick? We've got another time travel movie coming.
2: We do. Well, we've already mentioned it. Uh, so I'll keep it brief, but it's got uh, Jake Gyllenhaal and the, uh, starring in Source Code uh, as a guy who is um, sent back in time in a way. It's sort of, there's more of a sci-fi um, explanation to it. But basically, he goes back for eight minutes every time onto this train that has uh, been the victim of a of a bombing. And he has eight minutes each time to learn new in, uh, information and trying to figure out who did this so that they can prevent... So they can go arrest the guy and prevent another terrorist attack, and um, there's an element too. It's not he's not going back to his own life. He wasn't on the train originally. He's actually a different character, but they've sent him back into this guy's memory for eight minutes. This this passenger on this train who has died. So um, yeah, it's it's a freaking great uh, mystery thriller, and I you know one of the things with it is it's it's got one of the, it's sort of a Groundhog Day type effect. Um, where he's going back in this loop and noticing new things, but then you pair that with the mystery thriller, and then you have the stakes of the the ticking clock all the time. I I've loved that movie for so long, and so it's yeah, and and it's time travel on a train.
0: So. Love love a good time loop movie. Should there should be another? There should be a time loop movie like once a year. You know, we we deserve that. Um, when you when you first said Jake Gyllenhaal. I definitely thought you were going with Donnie Darko. Um but Source Code sounds sounds dope. I've never seen it. Um
2: Source Code is a little more accessible than Donnie Darko. Um as far as it you know, Donnie Darko is an interesting. I I'm not completely sold on Donnie Darko. Um but yeah, Jill Hall in this is very it's very straight um action thriller, but it's got a good heart sort of to it and yeah. And the mystery is fun because you because, you know, it gets you get to keep rewatching the same things and realizing new information with him. So it's really great.
0: Sweet. Um, awesome. Duke, what's uh, what's your final one?
1: What's my first cheat? I think you mean to say, Raph, because I, I can't I can't. Uh, oh, no, we can't, can't. do this again. I can't, I can't help it, Raf. There's just too many good stuff. I, I got a shout out. I'm not going to talk, but I'm just going to shout it out. Uh, Driven. It's a film about uh, the uh, making of the DeLorean. It's a, uh, it's a great film. It's got um, Lee Pace. It's got Jason Sudeikis, Judy Greer. Uh, yeah, it's about John Delorean and kind of about the guy like uh, it's not really about John like John Delorean's like a secondary character and then Jason Sudakis' character who I think had ties to the I mean the whole Delorean manufacturing backstory, it's just whole it's it's i mean it it was good enough for its own film, yeah, so watch that, but I gotta give uh, Michael J. Fox a couple shout outs. So for my official final pick, I'm doing a film and a TV show. TV show the Michael J Fox show which was supposed to be his comeback on television but NBC absolutely screwed him over uh I'll admit the first like 10 episodes of that 2013 um series were not good I mean they're good but they weren't you know renewable good but the seven episodes so then the winter Olympics came in 2014 and so NBC's like yeah we'll bring back Michael J Fox show after they didn't so seven episodes went unaired. They actually came out with a complete season one DVD. I bought it because I knew this is going to be impossible to find otherwise. So I got it right away. And those last seven episodes are so good. Like that's when, you know, it was all coming together. Christopher Lloyd makes a cameo. Um, There's a couple, his wife, Tracy Pollan, I believe that's how you pronounce her last name, makes uh, an appearance. Uh... Uh, spin city who which was a Fox's 1990s uh, sitcom Uh, a couple cast members from that make an appearance so it's, it's really fun it really comes together at the end so i highly recommend you hunt that down however you can but then on the film side i gotta give a shout out for for love or money uh this is what i would consider my favorite Michael J. Fox movie after the Back to the Future films. I mean, I could list every Michael J. Fox movie because I I love them all. But for Love or Money, um, it's got a pretty fun. It's fun. He plays he's like a concierge of a hotel, but he really wants to make his own. His dream is to open up a really like a first class hotel on this little island that he has to land to, and then it's a classic rom com story. And there's the rich older love interest of the girl who's kind of devious so it's fun yeah it's easily available on dvd and probably on the streaming server somewhere so i gotta give a little love to michael j fox since he's my favorite actor so yeah those are a couple films they're not the usuals that uh you might hear from him but uh they're good they're also good i'd, I'd recommend you check them out
0: you cheated I got, we'll it. I got
1: it. it. Next time, Raf, I promise, whatever you know, episode I I'm think, on next, I will only give you three, I will only give you three uh recommendations. I will not cheat. I think because of your because of your
0: violation, uh we're going to have to issue a, a one episode ban. So uh that's okay. Say
1: monsoon do, is right around the corner, ready to hop in my place.
0: He's still serving a ban as well. Um <laughs> we got to hand them out early so so yeah, yeah. people don't know that we people know that we're not joking around here yeah exactly. very serious business no cheating on recommendations
1: no recommendation cheating but i got i gave you a recipe so that should balance out my uh the cheat yeah, I should be allowed that, to cheat if you that's give why, a recipe you're allowed that's why to
0: it's only one, uh, oh, a one uh okay, one episode ban that's I why it's cheated. not longer yeah um okay because i'm not a cheater like duke um for my last recommend, so I always I always like to list out like five, just in case some of the other ones get stolen. Um, even though I was pretty sure that none would get stolen for this, uh, but I'm still well, only going to name one of my. Well, five. Raph,
1: that's like me. I list out five, but then nobody takes them, and I just feel like they need just, the airtime. Just, they need to be run. told. I can't help it. I, I don't.
0: I don't think all of mine need airtime, I, and I kind of I kind of rank them. You know. Um, so my last recommend, I'm like I said, I'm going to go with another movie. Um, and I think it's another sort of weird connection point, but um, that was kind of like the overall theme. I wanted to go with movies that like don't necessarily seem like they are in any way connected to Back to the Future, um, but still are. Uh, so for my last one, I'm going with uh, Charlie Kaufman's I'm Thinking of Ending Things uh, from, I think it was either 21 or, or 20. Uh, Netflix movie. Um, if you know Charlie Kaufman, it was very Charlie Kaufman. Uh, but the reason I'm recommending this movie is because there's a running gag of a movie within the movie that is like a cheesy rom-com directed by uh, Zemeckis. And uh, because Zemeckis is the director of Back to the Future, I thought, well, wouldn't this be a fun movie to recommend? Um, you know, Zemeckis had his run uh, where he made some great stuff and then he sort of became a punchline uh, like he is in this movie um, so I wanted to make that the final one to sort of take us through in a way the sort of Zemeckis journey from beginning to end um, but yeah that's my that's my third one
2: well he's redeemed himself now hasn't he with the new Pinocchio
1: <laughs> <laughs> Are we talking about uh, Del Toro now?
0: <laughs> yeah, he turned himself into uh, Guillermo Del Toro. Yeah, yeah,
1: yeah. Is that the Pinocchio we're talking about? <laughs> Talk about apps, like, come on. Like, come on. I, I just wish Zemeckis would do something. I don't even know. Something just, like an indie, like indie level, you know, where he's not, he's not. The- Oops, I shut my muted myself. Um. I wish the Mechas would do something that has no special effects. Like, no CGI. I want him to go back to, like, Castaway. Do something like Castaway. Give me, like, a good drama that doesn't have Steve Carell's face on a little miniature doll or the Uncanny Valley uh, Pinocchio wood grain. Like, come on. Just give us something that redeems him. I think you can't argue...
2: That Pinocchio is the best team up between Zemeckis and Tom Hanks since Castaway.
1: Have I mean, you did you watch Pinocchio? Because I avoided it. So, Jacob, you got to give me a little review. No,
2: no I, I avoided it too. I, I haven't seen it, but it has to be the best. I, I don't know. I, I quick glance, there was no other partnerships between the Polar two. Express.
1: Yeah, yeah, Polar oh, Express Polar is Express. A much better. Castaway, what is it? Forrest Gump, Castaway, Polar Express, and Pinocchio. Those. So it's the best since Polar Express. Then. Sorry, <laughs> the only, the only. It's true. One. That's right.
0: I wasn't sure because yeah. some people really don't like Polar Express. Um, I like.
1: It. Well, I grew up with. Like I, I'm in that childhood. Like I'm yeah. in that. Like when it was like a childhood movie for my generation. So I can see why parents the don't score like.
2: Score is so good. I. The score is so good that the rest almost. I had matter.
1: the Game Boy Advance game based on Polar Express. I pulled that sucker out over Christmas and there's some fun stuff. So, you know, another
0: train movie, another movie yeah, on a there train. We go. Oh man. It, all roads lead back to trains. However, where we're going, we don't need any roads.
1: Nicely done. Nicely done. <laughs> I,
0: I, I, like, I kind of want to end it there, but, um, I really wanted to end it there uh, because, you know, not to pat myself on the back, but that was a great joke. Um, But, guys, uh, thank you for once again a very wonderful, delightful conversation about a wonderful and uh, delightful movie. I hope that you guys had as much fun as I did. Listener, I hope that you had as much fun as the three of us did. Um, We hope you join us. Next week uh, when we will be talking, Yojimbo. Um, very different movie from back to the future, but another great one. Uh, my dudes, we did it, but yeah, th- uh, thank you guys for, uh, for joining. Um, I hope you guys had as much fun as I did listener. I hope you had as much fun listening as, uh, as we did talking about this movie. Um, my dudes, we did it.
1: Okay. Another one in the books or in the recordings. <laughs> I, however you may want it to, uh, another one in the, uh, Mr. Fusion. There we go. There we go. Maybe that might work. I I had fun. Uh, I think these are coming together. Great. Jacob, I hope I, uh, didn't ramble too much for you. I know.
2: I... Uh, yeah, no, it's, it's great time. Uh, I really enjoyed, uh, being on here and looking forward to the next one. Um, which I don't know when that what that is in our schedule, but I am
0: excited. Um, yeah, Jacob, we will we will see you uh, back on the show very soon. Uh, Duke, get ready to serve your band.